first. Luchim Abayim B'Shem Hashem Berech Luchim Beis Hashem. Like to give a shout out to uh, Yossi Davidovich, his birthday today. I guess the secular one. My guess is right. Um, of course, the model talk to my son Ezra uh, upon the birth of his little girl this morning at seven forty-five in the morning. What time? 7.45. Um, beautiful little girl, born in Methodist Hospital, a nice Jewish place to, for a nice Jewish girl to get born. Um, she was... wanted to make sure, though, that everybody knows she's a nice Jewish girl, so she weighed in at 6.13. Yeah, it's to keep all the mitzvahs to start, start it right, start on the right foot. She's at 6.13. Which is this week's Pasha, thank you very much, Ronan, for telling us that one again. Where Yaakov says in the beginning of our Pasha today, Im Lovan Garti, and Rashi says, Tayag Mitzvot Shamarti, that I've lived with Lovan and I've kept all 613 mitzvahs. Yes. With a wave. This is therefore. Excuse me. This is therefore a great, beautiful beginning for her, Yitzchak, and a special bracha to her and to her father and her mother. Should have a long gezunt to yarn and riches yom v'shanim, and they should uh, give us all a lot, a lot of nachas. Amen. Somewhere the blessings got to come in there, right? Tonight is also the night after Yudalit Kislev. Yudalit Kislev, of course, hopefully everybody was Makadish Lavana already this month. And if you did not do Kiddush Lavana yet, tonight is basically. A little late, <laughs> so it's nice of me to warn you. Um, you make a bracha in honor of the simcha, in honor of Yudal Kisle. We have to say the chaim actually. So take out the chaim. Baruch Ata Adinoy and Hinam Achayim Beri Mizenis. Dalit Kislev. In essence, is a date which we can all say, Barak Hashem, we are here today due to your Dalit Kislev. Obviously, Everyone would think only Chabad has what to thank 
has to be happy and excited about Yudalat Kislev. But I will tell you, Shimkol Yisrael Yechuna, entire Jewish nation, has what to be thankful for, for the date of Yudalat Kislev, which we are going to talk about next soon. So the Chaim for Yudalat Kislev, the Chaim for the new granddaughter, the Chaim. <laughs> to our dear friends, our dear brothers and sisters, Chaim. Pashva Yishlach, for those of you that have gone to Shul Shabbos and you heard Mincha the reading of the Ten Psukim of Ayishtach and Monday and tomorrow Thursday is a typical example where looks are deceiving because in essence Ayishtach until Shani is only Ten Psukim but the Pasha makes up for it thereafter and it's probably one of the longest Pashas of the year <coughs> so although until Shani It looks so simple. But the rest of the parsha is going to compensate. Parsha Yishlach begins with a very interesting phenomenon. Throughout our shir, we always try to clarify the mission of Rashi Rashi's mission is the Farish Pshutei Shalmikra to explain uh, to explain the simple <laughs> don't worry, I'm with you don't give any to the cat you'll never hear, never hear the end of it they have fresca in Atlanta. It's all because of the shear. It's all because of it. Yeah, it's a uh, ripple effect. They insisted that they, they imported there. Rashi writes his Pirush just for that Ben Chamish the Mikra, that five year old. L'chaim, l'chaim. That five-year-old sitting and learning Chumash to understand what the Pasuk said. Rashi's not looking to give esoterical explanations, not looking to have anybody really scratch his head reading what Rashi's saying. Rashi wants the Farish Pshuta Shamikra. Something on my camera, I think, over here. Because there's a line down the middle. I don't know what it is. No, if Rashi is only coming to explain Pshuta Shamikra, then it should, what should happen, 
Someone's wife has a lot of merits in this house, huh? Right. <laughs> Let's see. I think it's her daughter. <laughs> the Rashi would explain something that means if you read the Pasuk and you read the explanation of Rashi, you reread the Pasuk and you will see, oh, now the Pasuk makes more sense because Rashi did, was so kind to explain it to me. Sometimes, Rashi goes a little off course. Oh, we think he does. If we ever have cause to doubt that Rashi is working according to his norm, we have to look into it. We have to figure out and see how Rashi indeed is keeping to his regular system. He's consistent. Amongst the consistencies of Rashi, we find in this week's Pasha, the first beginning of, Ra- of the Pasuk, the beginning of the Pasha, where the Pasha says, Vayishlach Yaakov Malochim Lefanov. Yaakov sent angels before him. Or messengers, I don't believe that one. Yaakov sent messengers. Rashi takes the liberty to say that when the Pasuk says don't translate it to read messengers but rather it means angels Malochim is Malochim Mamish. Real angels. Now, we all know Yaakov was a very holy man. But, Can he abuse the privilege? He's quiet. Can he abuse the privilege to use regular God? God sent angels. Come on. Ah. Come. Let's see. Come see Second of all, where did he pick up pick up these angels? Here in Brooklyn, when you need uh, workers and you need uh, you go to the certain areas they have on the street corners, they stand the Mexicans workers or the Polish workers, and you know you can always pick up a few workers and construction workers, and there they are. 
So which intersection did Yaakov pick up angels? It's a little awkward to think that he was walking around picking up angels on the uh, <coughs> on the crossroad between uh, Adam and Seir. And Seir. And then we're going to read later in the Pasha another phenomenon where the Pasik tells us that Yaakov had take, has battle fights with an angel, dangles with an angel. Really getting off color. This is Tara here. This is not a storybook. How and what could we learn? If it's so good, why are you sharing? What could we possibly learn? Or what lesson could there be in it? Yaakov Avinu, our forefather, is using angels for messengers. But the real question is according to Rashi it's the simple explanation. This is really what happened in essence. By Yishach Yaakov Malochim he sent real angels. Okay. That's called the Improvising, or, or um, you bring your own, you know, bring your own snack, you know, bring your own food. Banana, banana for your monkey. Banana cake. Banana monkey. Oh, it's for the cake. It's for another cake. I figured. Okay. So, by Yishtach Yakim Malochim Rashi says Malochim Mamish. How does Rashi deduce that? How does Rashi deduce that this was the simple explanation that it was regular angels, real live angels? There is a din. There is a Jewish law. If you send a messenger on a mission and the messenger gets Rahman hurt Injured, or even worse, then the <sighs> wonderful world of Skype. Then the halacha is the mishaleach, the person that sends him. Needs to do tshuva. <coughs> Needs to repent. <coughs> oh, well done, well done. Yeah, he woke up.
the person can explain to me what happened to the Skype here, it'd be wonderful. Aha. Uh-huh. Something gives me a feeling that in Atlanta they only have cats. They only have girls. Why is my Skype not working? Sorry? Let's redo this. Revisit the world. Okay, welcome back. The halach is that the person that sends a messenger, if the messenger is in harm's way, or chashon, something happens to the messenger, the shaleach, the mishaleach, needs to do tshuva, needs to repent. According to this, we understand, Yaakov was sending messengers to Esav. He was, this messenger was anything but lucky. <laughs> this is a uh, dangerous mission. Not just dangerous mission, but it was very likely that the messenger would get hurt or even worse. That being the case, it was prohibited, prohibitive for Yaakov to send a person to do this. A boss of a dumb, a human, ma- a human being, would be ushered to send. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, if he sent messengers, they had to be malachim, angels. Because angels, he could not endanger. Who's monitoring Meisha uh, Tzvi? Because he just took a walk. So therefore, Rashi tells us <coughs> that the Pshutei Shamikra, the simple Pshat of Pasuk is when it says, Vayishlach Yaakov Malochim, that it was real Malochim, it was true angels. The Rebbes were not always like that. The Rebbes have sent Shluchim to places where they were being sent in harm's way, Rahman al Islam. And I'm not even I'm not even referring to modern day Mumbai. Or to anywhere in the streets of Brooklyn. You know, those are the two equal danger, equally dangerous places. If I'm not mistaken, for those of you that really keep up with news, I believe today I saw on Yahoo, because we have a, Yeshiva has a mail account, with Yahoo email, so I went to Yahoo and on the, mail, on the front page of Yahoo, one of the headlines was, this past Monday, there were no stabbings or shootings. <laughs> in New York. Yeah, in New York. You saw it? You heard this? Oh. So I'm right. It feels so safe. First time in. First time in, right, exactly. 
No stabbings or shootings. We have become a society. We have become a human society. Um, people are not stabbing and shooting each other. Amazing. But in essence, the Rabbeim have sent Shluchim on Shlichasen that endanger their lives. And if Rachman al-Itzlan, a Shliach, on a Shlichas, either in deep dark Russia, or wherever it may have been, was killed, no time was wasted and another Shliach was sent. The Rebbe didn't say, okay, this place is taboo, we're not sending anybody in there anymore. If there were Yidin there, the Rebbe sent Shluchim there. You know, the time without the Rebbe, first, Lubavitch Rebbe, he called him once a Chassid. I don't even think he was married yet. And he told him, he gave him a very large sum of money, and he told him to go deliver it. No destination. The only instructions that the Altareb specified do not stay in a house where there is no window on the east wall of the house. If the eastern wall in the house does not have a window, you should not stay there. That's the only instruction he gave him. It was a Russian winter. The Chosid mounted the horse and wagon and began his journey. It was cold. Winds were tear- tearing through his go- garments. But it was bearable. Then the snow started. He was traveling for a few hours already, and the snow started to come down bad. Now, very rarely here in America do we see a bad snow. In the yesteryears of Russia, my father, my grandmother, told us when you had a bad snow, it meant you had to keep moving. If you were to stop and stand still for more than three, four minutes, you were a snowman. You were fo- so covered, so densely covered with snow, that would, you'd be dead, you'd be finished. <laughs> now, here in America, we very rarely have, like I said, we've had snows that were severe, 
And that if you walk too slowly, you really got covered from head to toe. But you, you got out of that. You walked through it. You had to trudge through it. Sometimes we had feet, feet of snow falling on us. It didn't have that, let's call it a pizzazz of a Russian snow. This chassid was, trud- was riding through just such a snow. And he knew that although he had no idea if there was a road, where the road was, he knew one thing was for sure, that unless he was indoors, he could not stop. Out here, there was no stopping. And so the Chosid began to ride, and to push his way through. As he trudged and trudged the way through, strangely, oddly, weirdly, he thought he saw maybe it was a mirage. For you people that travel in the deserts, often you know what a mirage is. Get up and give it. It's easy to get in here. <laughs> he saw a house. And he began to travel towards the house. And as he gets closer, it's Taki, he finds it's a house. And he gets off the horse outside the house and he says, let me just go in for a few minutes to warm up first and then I'll go out and take care of my horse. And he goes into the house, He opens, the woman opens the door, she welcomes him in, she gives him a cup of tea, sits him down by the fire, she says, my gosh, you must be frostbitten from head to toe. The day was set, the sun was setting already, and the Chassid knew that he had to have Mincha. So the Chassid asked the Bala Saksanya, the woman, which way is east, Mizrach, so that he could dive in Mincha. She pointed him in the direction of Mizrach, and the Chassid diligently, Chassid of the Alter Rebbe, can you imagine what kind of minchas they davened? <coughs> Our average chakras with halal is about as, almost as long as their mincha. And the Chassid davened his mincha, oblivious to everything, of course, when he finished mincha. He opened his eyes and he realized the direction in which he was davening, obviously being Mizrach East, on that wall there were no windows, he's Ezra. came in here to make the kid cry. We could have pinched him. We could have pinched him. We haven't been married, or am I going to marry? She has made it. She has to go to the bed. We have eight. Nine, nine. Nine? I didn't have any. Oh, nine. So one more. 
There's nine of us. We've yeah. got to find somebody. Okay, one more. Okay, just shoot. Shh. He realized there was no Mizrach wall, no window in the Mizrach wall. Immediately he grabbed his coat and he started to run towards the door to get out. Everybody on Skype, I'm afraid not. He tried to run out, the door was locked. He tried to get out the window, the windows were locked. He saw he was pretty much in big trouble here. He stood there trembling when finally the door opened up and in walked in the four sons. The Russia, the Russia, the Russia, and the Russia. There were the four sons. I guess they'd never read the Haggadah. And they all were very happy to see they had themselves a new victim they immediately proceeded to beat him to pulp empty all his possessions and they found the sizable amount of money that this chassid was transporting immediately they beat him and they tied him up and put him in a corner and they decided they're going to, like everyone else around here, kill him and bury him. But one of the brothers said, Hello, before we do this, we never had somebody with so much money on him. Let us say the Chaim. And they took down a bottle of vodka. Everybody poured themselves full glasses. The chassid started to cry. The boy them. The boy them. What's going to be with me? The boy them. Save me. When he heard this, the brothers were drinking. They heard them say this. They burst out laughing. There's no Rebbeinah Shalom here, there's no God over here. No one's coming to save you. They started to, when you start, when you're drinking something, and you start laughing, usually you choke on it. And one started to laugh, he caused the second to laugh. And they were all choking on this. <coughs> until they finished, until they recuperated from this, the father came home. When the father came home, and the father saw what was going on, and he saw all the money, and he saw everything, and he told the boys, this is Givaldic, this is fantastic, we'll wait till the morning and we'll take care of him. And they drank some Molochayims together, and they all went to bed. In the middle of the night, the father quietly slides over to the Ghazlid and he unties him and he says to him, you're a Ghazlid of the Rebbe, aren't you? And he said, yes. He gave him 
most of the money back that he was able to put together. And then he gave him a gold coin. And he said the gold coin is to go to the Rebbe and to ask the Rebbe to daven for me. Say hi. Chosu didn't look a gift horse in the mouth. He immediately picked up and he ran for it. Say hi. It's, he had a sister today. He's the big brother. <laughs> and the Chosid grabbed his coat, ran outside, grabbed his horse, and ran home. As he returned in the morning to the Altarebbe, he gave the Altarebbe the gold coin. The Altarebbe took the coin and put it into a hole in the wall. That was the end of the story as far as the Chassid was concerned. He didn't understand. A short while after that, apparently, the father ran out because he knew that if they come out, they wake up in the morning and see the Chassid is not there and the money's not there, they'll kill him. So he ran for his life. No, 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 we should speak. So he ran for his life and the police came and they arrested the rest of the family. And the father wandered and wandered and wandered. Years went by, the Chassid married, and the Chassid became a Shamis by the Rebbe. He was one of the people that worked in the Rebbe's secretariat. One day there's a knock on the door. This poor man starved, disheveled, standing by the door. And he says, he's asking for tzedakah. The chassid went into the Rebbe and told the Rebbe there's a poor guy by the door looking for tzedakah. Mind you, this is years later, the Chassid totally forgot the story. The Rebbe stood up, went to the wall, and took out the gold coin from the wall. And the Rebbe said, give it back to him. And tell him that his tshuva is now complete. You're not getting a tenth guy? No, no, no. I'm going home to my apartment to get some, to get some stuff in this way. You better so hurry up. I'm going to do it after marriage and then go to her. Okay, just hurry up. Hurry up. Hey, don't bring it. <coughs> At that point, Al-Tarebbe told the Chassid, this was that murder 
that set you free, that saved your life. And I saved the coin for him, knowing that he's going to need it down the line. That night, that entire night that you were there, I didn't sleep a wink. I stayed up all night davening for you. And ultimately, I was davening for him too. And when you came with his pigeon, you came with his request <coughs> that I daven for him, I continued davening for him so that he do tshuva. And he wandered from town to town for years, begging. And finally now that he returned here, his tshuva has been accepted and completed. This we find in the mission of Yaakov Avinu. How Yaakov Avinu sends out Malachim. He sends out messengers that seemingly are being put into harm's way. That are endangering their lives for him. But yet... He davens for them throughout the night. And this is, we find later, this phenomenon, later in the Pasha, where Yaakov fights with an angel throughout the night. He wrangles with the angel. The Torah doesn't give us any kind of introduction to this. The Torah doesn't give us any kind of dialogue that caused the angel to fight with him, that caused him to fight with the angel. It tells us that Yaakov fought with the angel, Okay, 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 then let's put it on the computer. <coughs> that Yaakov fought with the angel throughout the night. Yaakov manages all night long to, to stay stride with the angel. And yet, after all said and done, the Yaakov, Yaakov requests one thing from the angel. I will not let you go until you bless me. What blessing... Does the angel give him your name? You have wrangled and won and conquered and was able to stay at face with an angel. Therefore, your name will no longer be Yaakov, it will become Yisrael. For you have conquered Kale with the name of God. Ah. Fresca. This too is an example and a lesson to each and every one of us. 
Whereas it seems that the Torah is telling us a superfluous story. Torah is Lashon Heira, is a lesson, and nothing, no, no, no more. Later. Torah has a lesson for us in our daily life. Yaakov, the Torah tells us, Maisa Ovei Simin Labanim. That whatever our forefathers did was a paving the way for their children and their future generations. And so too is here. Yaakov fights and battles the angel, signifies the battle between each and every Jew and the Yetzirah. As we know, the Torah tells us, Yaakov loimeis, says Rashi. The Imara says, <coughs> Yaakov did not die. So the question becomes, did we not see a funeral? Did we not see him being embalmed? But Yaakov lives on in each and every one of us, which was elaborated Many times in Pashat Vayechi, and we'll speak Mi'achim again. Yaakov's legacy lives on within us, and that legacy being just that. We do not allow the Yetzirah to get the better of us. The night represents darkness. Darkness is the exile in which we are in today. Throughout the darkness of the night, we are constantly battling the Yetzirah. We are in a constant battle, and we have the mission to live on and to forge ahead, and to constantly see to it that we conquer. And this is the lesson that we take from this week's Pasha, from the battle of Yaakov, with the angel, from Yaakov's messengers, the angels which he sends out. Today, as we said, is Yudalit Kislev. Yudalit Kislev. Is the anniversary of the Rebbe and the Rebbetzin. The day that the Rebbe and the Rebbetzin were married 84 years ago. We find 84. The number 84 is a very interesting number. No. Oh, wow, wow, wow. The number 84. I mean, uh, I've had my Mechatonim call me to tell me Mazel Tov, but to come all the way from Florida to tell me Mazel Tov, that is beautiful. Yeah. This is what he's father in law. You see, Adam, this is how you do it.
came from Florida to tell me Mazel Tov. Nothing wrong. I'm making a kid. They're making kiddush this Shabbos. You still have time. Hop on that plane and. Yudalit Kislev is the day that the Rebbe says I have become one with the Hasidim. The day that the Rebbe marries the previous Rebbe's daughter. In Tovshin Lamit Tess, I was actually, (laughs) it's not non-characteristic of me by now. I started to learn how to keep up with my tangents and I just went and lost one. We're talking about the number 84. (coughs) We know that a Pidyan Aben, anyone who partakes in the Pidyan Aben, in the meal of the redemption of a firstborn, it is as if he fasted 84 fasts. So it's quite, quite potent. And there are certain sins that require 84 fasts to repent for them. So there's nothing like a good pinyin abenatu. Unfortunately, they're hard to come by. Few and far between. I have two people sitting here that have a bakhir. And neither of them made a pidgin aben. They're both Levine. Or if the father's a Kayin, or the mother's a Bas Kayin, or Bas Levi. Or if the child was born after a miscarriage, or if the child was born in the C section. There are so many things to make it fit the criteria to make the pidgin aben. The little girl born this morning, her oldest brother. The Bechir in that family had a Pidyan Aben, the first Pidyan Aben in our family, actually. And we were merit, we merit to have a Pidyan Aben. As the Bishavi told the story before, we were looking for a letter from the Rebbe on Pidyan Aben. We couldn't find one. Finally, Rabbi Garelik told me where it is, in Chelik Beis, in the Yuskedish. And we found the letter the one and only letter that the Rebbe wrote for Pidyan Aben and it was addressed to Harav Yud Hecht so it was quite a, an experience in its own right Tavshin Lamites was the 50th wedding anniversary of the Rebbe we were learning that Fabrengen right Leibish? we are learning that Fabrengen in Dov Shalom test that ever said on his 50th anniversary, he spoke about the greatness of an anniversary and how people celebrate anniversaries, and especially when it's a milestone number, the number 50, which 50 represents Yevil, Yevil Shonim, the Jubilee, or more commonly known as the Golden Anniversary. 25 is a silver anniversary, 50 is a golden anniversary, 75, you can't remember, 
Usually when you're married 75 years, you don't remember what's happening anyway. But the Rebbe said also that there were very few of the Rabbeim that lived to be, to have their 50th anniversary. The Rebbe said, therefore, action should be taken. And during, the Rebbe mentioned that by the Friedrich Rebbe's 50th anniversary, <coughs> there was Fabrengens every day during the week of what would have been Sheva Brachas after the wedding anniversary. And not only that, but a newly printed Sefer was brought to the Rebbe Rayats every day during the seven days after the 50th anniversary. And so in Tavshin Lamites, the Hasidim sat and fabrang that whole week after the Rebbe's anniversary. And since, said the Rebbe, that the day of my anniversary, the day of my wedding, was the day that I became connected with my Hasidim. The 50th anniversary, says the Rebbe, reinforces and reinstates this. So much more so, 84 years. That we have to give Shevach Vahidoyah on this 84th year that the Rebbe was given to us. The Rebbe was... We were connected to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe connection was through his father-in-law, the Friedrich Rebbe. And everything, many, many times, that the Rebbe was asked to give a bracha for something, and the bracha was Askar al I will mention by my father-in-law. And a fellow once went to Yechidus, the private audience with the Rebbe, and the Rebbe would go to the Eil every month, twice a month. Erev Eshchedesh and Tezvav, on the 15th. In the later years, the Rebbe went more frequently. But in the beginning, it was like clockwork on the Eshchedesh, Erev Eshchedesh, and on the 15th. And the Rebbe would return very, very late at night. Very late at night <laughs> would be sometimes 10, 11 o'clock. And in the summertime, the Rebbe went to the hill, he did not have mincha before. So when the Rebbe would return 10, 11 o'clock at night, the Rebbe would come in to have mincha. And we had those chassidim that stood and waited until the Rebbe came back from the hill, so the Rebbe would have a minion to have mincha. And of course, needless to say, that every mitzvah manages to manifest itself with stupidity sometimes. Mm-hmm. To connect itself with stupidity. So the question came about, here it is, it's two or three hours after Shkia Zahama, after sunset, 
two or three hours after one would normally be able to daven mincha. And here the Rebbe is coming to daven mincha. If you daven with the Rebbe's minion, needless to say, you didn't have to answer anyone else. You were not answerable to nobody. You were davening with the Rebbe, and if the Rebbe had the gates of Mincha open still, you knew that you were still allowed to daven Mincha. But then you had the brilliant geniuses that wanted to know if you could still put on a Benetans. Can I still put on a Benetans yet? Because the Rebbe didn't daven Mincha. People tend to lose focus sometimes. Ayutas Kislev, Tafresh Peites, 1928. The Fabrengen of the Fili went very, very, very late. Literally early morning. Because that Fabrengen was also during the Shevabrachas of the Rebbe. And at that point, the Friedrich Rebbe said to his Gabay Chachafegin to send a telegram to a certain Chassid that lived in Rostov and to tell him that he should put a pan, a letter, a pigeon, by the Rebbe Rashab in his oil. And it should say that the Rebbe Rashab's wish has now been fulfilled. This was the instructions of the Fidik Rebbe. The Rebbe Rashab was the biggest advocate and probably le- legally they could say the Shatchan of the Rebbe. Of the Rebbe marrying Rebbe Tzinchaya Mushka. When Rav Levik, the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Tzinchana, had their Becher, their oldest boy, the Rebbe, there were six letters sent on Yeralef Nisan on that day from the Rebbe Rashab to Rav Levik, instructions <coughs> as to how to look after the child, as to what should happen by the birth, what should happen, though the birth happened already, what should happen by the bris, etc. There were letters before as well. How to look after the pregnancy itself. These six telegrams went back and forth from the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe's father was very, very close to the Rebbe Rashab. And the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Levik, had gone to the Rashab many times in Lubavitch. But the Rebbe himself never saw the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe was about 22 years old when he first met the previous Rafidic Rebbe. It was probably in Kremenchuk, they say. <coughs> 1924. Around then, or maybe the summer before that. And then the Rebbe stayed with the Friedrich Rebbe in Leningrad. 
At that point in time, Rebbe Tzinchana, Rebbe's mother came to meet Rebbe Tzinchaya Mushka the first time. Her future daughter-in-law. The Vedic Rebbe, as we know, went through a lot of, lot of Russian persecution. And only after everything was pretty much finished that the Vedic Rebbe requested a visa to emigrate to Latvia. And they granted him the visa, but he said, I need to take an entourage with me as well. <coughs> and he listed off the list of entourage, and amongst the list was the Rebbe, his future son-in-law. The fellow that was looking through the list said, I'm sorry, everyone is fine, but there are plenty of boys, you can get another son-in-law for your daughter. And the Fidig Rebbe said, a son-in-law like this, you don't find. It's impossible to find another one. And he fought tooth and nail until the Rebbe was given permission to go out. <coughs> Ultimately, the Rebbe goes off, went off to, Brazil, to Berlin to study. It was in France. The actual Tenoyim was on the 6th or the 7th of Kislev and a week later was the Chassana. A year later, obviously, from when all this took place. The Rebbe wanted, though, that the Chuppah, which is a very spiritual moment, should be held in a holy place. In Yeshiva's Temchatimimim. And therefore, they had to travel to Warsaw. And in Warsaw, they had the chuppah. And the Rebbe said the spiritual part was the chuppah. And that has to be in Yeshiva. And their other part had to be in a big fancy hall. There were three, there were more than three, but there were three basic stipulations that the three the Rebbe took out with the Rebbe. The three that are the most famous, that the Rebbe should stay up every Thursday night to learn, every Friday night to learn, and that the Rebbe never insert false teeth. Ultimately also, the Rebbe was, there was also a stipulation, the Rebbe had to bring every Shabbos Mavarach Machedish. These are different stipulations that the Rebbe took out. The Rebbe proceeded to invite people four different ways. Chassidim that were in Russia that could not get there, the Rebbe wrote a letter that they should fabreng on the day of the Chassana. The Chassidim that were in Riga and Varsha, they received printed invitations. Former students of Yeshiva's Temchatimimim received a handwritten, a copy of the handwritten invitation the Fidik, the Fidik, by the Fidik Rebbe. And the elder Siddim received that same photocopy with the Rebbe's signature. 
<coughs> and it was personally addressed to each one. <coughs> the wedding itself, as we said, the chuppah took place in the yeshiva, but how many people could they put into yeshiva, therefore each person was given a certain a pass to go in, and there was police, and they watched, and they marked, and they got it. Let us leave the Warsaw for a moment. We'll leave the actual wedding, the Maimush, the Rebbe Chazid, the Chodedi, on the day of the Chazana. The Cholbanayich, which the Rebbe Chazid, feeding Rebbe Chazid, by the Ofruf. And let us fly way down west, way down east. All the way down to Yekaterinus, not to Yekaterinus love, but to Almata. <coughs> In Almata at the time, sorry, there was in Yekaterinus love. The Rebbe's father and mother were cordoned off in a certain room. Barely an apartment. And they knew they weren't allowed to go to the chasana, therefore they had to have on the day of the chasana a chasana of their own. The chasana of their own, interestingly, one very interesting point. The Blavik was a very, very, very respected chasid, almost the shtikla Rebbe of his own. And he would teach chasidis, and he was a very big basic halacha. And there was a lot of traffic going in and out of his house. <coughs> the attached apartment was somebody that was not very happy with this. And so much so that he used to make sure that he always stayed in his room whenever the Levik fabrenged or anything. So nobody should think that he has any affiliation. But when they wanted to make a wedding, they needed more room. The room was not big enough to bring people in, to have guests there. And this person, this neighbor, heard of the dilemma and immediately took hammer, a sledgehammer and broke through the wall adjoining his apartment with the Reblevik's apartment. And so therefore the expanse was now big enough to have the chasana. And they sang and they danced through the night. As the mother and the father of Levik and Abitzanchana celebrated the night of their son's wedding. And this is all as per instructions of the Fidik Rebbe that wherever anyone was, they should celebrate this wedding. And if it was done then, there's no reason it's not done today, that we celebrate with Simcha Gedela. And we, uh, with this simcha, we will merit the simcha of kel sosin, kel simcha, kel chosin, kel kala, kel mitzalitz chasonim, the five kelos, until we hear the kel of Mashiach Tzidkenu himself, and on this very Shabbos, Vayishlach Yaakov, that the Yaakov will be sent also, not just he will send, but will be sent all out of Golis, and we'll find ourselves in Yerushalayim, Mirakadosh, the high of the high of the